Welcome to Unpack the Pursuit, a podcast where we have real talk about change. Unpack the Pursuit is dedicated to helping us think differently about change and how we get to the places we so desperately want to go. Get ready for empowering tips and tools, lots of storytelling, and inspiring interviews. We are your hosts, Natalie and Molly. Let's unpack this. I started listening to a book on Audible called To Shake the Sleeping Self. It's about a guy who dropped everything and set off on a bike trip from Oregon to South America. He didn't train and didn't own a bike. He just did it. It's not that his story is the only one of his kind, but these stories are different from one another in the sense that they are all experienced by one individual. And that experience can never be shared in its truest form with anyone else. I am so enamored by these stories and will never tire of them because they speak to a part of humanity that I am deeply inspired by. We are ushered into a way of life from the time we are too small to know any better. And we actually talked about this on our podcast with Alexandra Muir, the importance of writing your own script and how we are born in sort of a box, an identity that's already given to us. It takes years to unlearn certain things and develop a true sense of identity and independence. These stories of adventure and spiritual pursuit are one of the ways humans are able to do that to reveal who they are and what their purpose is. I'm so excited to introduce our guest today who has his own incredible story to tell. Andrew lost his job and was completely out of money and had to leave before next month's rent. That's the situation he was in. And he left to go hitchhiking all by himself for the first time. Now I'm not gonna do it justice to even remotely touch on this and we're gonna go into it in just a few minutes here. But this story, it goes back to what I was just talking about with Cheryl Strayed and McCandless and this desire to jump into the unknown and sometimes forcing the hand a bit, depending on your circumstance. Andrew Coconato, formerly known as Coco, is a curator of good vibes. And I know this to be true because when we got on the phone, we had never talked before and we were on there for an hour, if not more, I think. His life purpose is to be a positive space for love, connection, and self-expression. He wears multiple hats as a director, choreographer, producer, and performer, Everything from flash mobs, short films, and music videos, Coco tells his life story through the characters and worlds that he creates. Today, Coco will share with us his most recent creation, Polaroid Pete, and the hitchhiking dream they went on together. Andrew, welcome to Unpack the Pursuit. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me, Malls. I am so excited. I can call you Malls, right? Absolutely. You can call me whatever you want. Okay, good, 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 good. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, Unpack the Pursuit listeners, you can't quite see it right now, but Andrew is in his laundry closet to take on this podcast today. (laughs) Right. I'm in my laundry room. I have a ball of Christmas lights to my left. I have a pink neon flamingo to my right. The lighting and the vibe is set. So I did say you bring the good vibes. uh, Good vibes, good vibes only. That's my number one rule. So Andrew. Yes. There are so many elements of this story that I want to unpack, but I also want to give people an idea of the depth of life experience that led you to this hitchhiking experience that we're going to get into in a few minutes. Can you give us a good 60 second memoir leading up to the hitchhike? Who are you? Well, the real question is, did you watch Tiger King? (laughs) Of course. Okay. Because Joe Exotic said, said it best. He said, I'm gay. I'm broke as shit. And I got some bitch down there in Florida who's got judgment against me. And honestly, when he said that, I was like, he just named off 
my biography in like three bullets. And that's kind of the, uh, the summary of the story, which I'll give you the full depth. I grew up in small town, Florida, Lake Wales, Polk County, to be exact, as the youngest of five kids, two boys, two girls, and one gay, but that's not how it always was. Very fortunately, I had a very, and still do have a very loving and accepting family, but kind of where the punch comes into the story is me being closeted basically for a majority of my life. And I say closeted, like deeply, deeply, deeply closeted. Growing up in Central Florida is not necessarily the easiest. Longer story short, it followed me all up into college. When I joined college, I even put that mask on further and joined a fraternity. I became president of that fraternity. I went all in involved on campus from like giving tours to orientation to student government. And basically to hide who I was, I put on this mask, this masculine mask. I was deeply, deeply, deeply terrified, deeply scared. I didn't act on my sexuality, not one bit. Never looked at a guy, never kissed, never made that move because I was terrified. Up until I accidentally fell in love with one of my best friends and was unable to communicate that to him or to anyone out of that same fear, the fear of one, the love not being reciprocated, two, losing the friendship, and more importantly, three, the, the, the news getting out about who I truly was. So I was heavily involved creatively. All of that sexual energy that I did not put out, I put into my creativity. I was directing flash mobs, like 300-person flash mobs on campus. I was choreographing for competitions for the fraternity. And I just would find every little way to escape the reality of who I truly was. That really set me into a dark, dark, deep spiral, which I never attempted suicide, but it definitely put me into a like a negative headspace where I contemplated suicide. I was in so much pain and like didn't know who to share it with. I just decided, okay, I'm going to finish college, give it my best. And let me, don't get me wrong. I had a fun time in college. But a lot of that fun time was covering up something that was deeper and more true. And what I discovered in that closet that I was stuck in was my passion, my purpose, and my talent, which ultimately led me to California. Yada, yada, here I am. I know you said 60 seconds, but it's probably two minutes later. I made it to California, and really I found the space to be myself. And that space that I, it's my purpose to create for others is the exact space I found when I moved. I don't necessarily say it's California. I think it's just when you move away from your hometown or you move away from your home state and away from people who have known the older version of yourself for a very long time, you find this freedom to like recreate something new, to just start fresh. From there, my style started blossoming. And like all of a sudden I started when I say coming out of the closet, like I just started being myself. And eventually, like when close friends would come out to visit, I would share with them. And all of that kind of led up until Christmas 2017. I know it to be exact. When I had that really, really difficult conversation with my parents, my mom said something very sweet where she looked back at me. Basically, when I told them like, hey, I'm not really into not really into girls. She asked me, she says, does that mean you're into boys? Like she did, they did a clarification, which is kind of funny. But the beauty of it, she said, we love you the same way we loved you two minutes ago before you told us that. Knowing that my parents were able to accept me, that's where my faith began. And that's really an important part of this next adventure and this next story of Polaroid Pete, because the guiding force of everything else I'm about to tell you is faith. And faith is something that I pretended to have, had no, no idea what it was. 
I just wanted to believe in God because I was afraid of not believing in God. But let me tell you, God was not something real. And when I say God, I mean like universe, energy, whatever you want to call it. For me, it has multiple names. But for, for me, that became something tangible, something real. The moment I came to accept myself, right after that, I started my own production company. It's called Twisted Oak. It's named after the street I grew up on. It's called Twisted Oak Court. Out of Twisted Oak, there are multiple worlds. And in these worlds live characters. And I create these characters. They are collaborations with myself and other friends. But ultimately, they're memoirs. They are like caricatures that give you a glimpse of my story through that period of time. So I have a series of characters that tell my story. My most recent character is Polaroid Pete. And Polaroid Pete came about right after I lost my job back in October of 2019, so fairly recently. I lost my job and ultimately went bankrupt. And not just bankrupt, like I went negative. So I created a GoFundMe. I wrote up an email, emailed all of my best friends and family members and said, hey, here's the situation. I'm going on this journey. I'm terrified of it. I packed my bag and I went. The destination essentially was Seattle from Los Angeles to Seattle by hitchhike. All I had was my backpack and my thumb. That's what I wanted to make sure the listeners hear. If you're listening to this right now, like the character we're about to dive into, Pilot Pete, or Polaroid Pete. Oh my God, Pilot Pete's from The Bachelor. Jesus. <laughs> oh, wow. That's embarrassing. Polaroid Pete. But what I wanted the listeners to understand is that this is just one of many characters that you've created. Like you've created this whole ecosystem to mirror your journey and to mirror your life and to your experience. So I really wanted to make sure that that was made clear that as we get into the exploration of Polaroid P and your experience with hitchhiking, this is just a sliver of your story and that you have so much more to tell. So with that, I want to jump into this next question because we can start diving deeper into Polaroid Pete. If you could expand upon how did you mentally prepare for this expedition? Who were your biggest supporters? It sounds like your friends and family were totally there for you. Did you have detractors? Did you have people who were like, what are you doing? This is a huge mistake. Right. I think, I think the first step was tell, being vocal about hey, I'm doing this. Because you can talk all the talk, but like for me, integrity is the most important value in myself and in any of my friends and family. So like if I say I'm going to do something, I have to follow through. Like I, no question. So I knew if I told my best friends and family, like there was no going back. Like, hey, I'm doing this. I'm leaving this date. I was terrified, by the way. Terrified. And also, I, you mentioned in the intro to shake the sleeping self in that book, which I didn't read until after my trip. But he also mentions how he had to verbally tell people that he was doing this trip because it would hold him accountable to actually do it. And I totally resonated with that. And so, like, if, if, if there's anyone listening to this that's like, hey, I want to do something similar, the best thing you can do is just say you're going to do it. And you're, there were detractors. There were, you know, people naturally project their fears. And they don't even do it consciously. It's just like a natural instinct to be like, wait, you're going hitchhiking? Like, don't, didn't you see XYZ movie where so-and-so kills so-and-so? Or like, didn't you watch the documentary in Humboldt County of Murder Mountain? Like, I kept getting all of these examples, which I'm like, I've already told you I'm doing it. So like, right now, this is not helping my case. Like, I, I know those things exist, but like, if I just meditate on just the negatives, like, I'm going to attract fear. And I... Fear is what's going to prevent me from doing this trip. 
So what I need to develop is faith. And so a lot of that preparation was just like self-work, meditation. Every morning was meditation and just like getting still, getting quiet and just like reassuring myself that this needs to happen. And it's not just like a reaction to the fact that I'm broke. Like I have, let me be clear. I had this idea four years ago. I pocketed Polaroid Pete. I actually had the Polaroid camera many, many years before I took the trip. Because when I had that idea, I asked for this vintage Polaroid camera for Christmas. Thank you, mom and dad and Santa for gifting it to me. But I finally got the camera, but the camera just collected dust for three more years because I got busy with work. I got busy creatively. And finally, when I lost my job, for me, it was a universal signal that said, hey, you got no excuse now. It was scary. But yes, the preparation was it had to do with just surrounding myself with people who were encouraging and also just understanding that if people were a detractor, that it was really just coming from their own personal fear and not to adapt it as my own fear. So the other part was doing my research. I looked up Hitch, Hitchawick, Hitchawicky, which is like the Wikipedia for hitchhikers. And it has like all the different states, all the different countries, different cities, and all of the the laws that affect and how they change everywhere you go. So you have to pay attention. And also they tell you good spots and bad spots to hitchhike. So there's a bunch of tips and knowledge of like, hey, do this, don't do this. I didn't realize that sticking your thumb out was illegal. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Thumbing is illegal. So you have to hold up a sign. Interesting. I'm getting, in a, I'm getting into a whole other topic. I'll say that for another question. Research is undervalued, I think, when, because yeah. also there's this kind of, there's a sexiness and spiciness to be like really nomadic and spontaneous. Be mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go on a hitchhiking trip across the nation. And it is sexy. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. research is also sexy. Knowing what it you're is. doing is also sexy. So yeah, yeah, I love that you mentioned that. And I did want to go back on one point that you said about, um, not letting other people's fear become your own fear. And that is a super self-aware thing to say. That's something I get stuck in still, is not being able to recognize other people's fear is actually what their response is. It has very, very little to do with me. And that's such a key element to making any decision in which there's like detractors or people that are like going to hate on you. Yeah. You you just have to like be in tune to it because it's very easy to be like, oh, you're right. Like someone did get murdered last week. And then like, oh, that could be me. You just start playing and loop this illusion that's not actually there. Yeah, totally. And it all kind of came back to, there is a universal intuition that's telling me to go. I have to listen to that and I have to trust it. Because the moment I don't trust it and I don't listen to it is the moment that either fear intervenes or intervenes, or that's when I get abducted and that's when shit goes wrong is when you lose faith in it. Mm-hmm. So totally. that's what I learned. And also you were talking about doing research as being sexy and then like having that spontaneity is also sexy. There's a good balance. Oh, and yeah. you, you had also mentioned Chris McCandless from Into the Wild. I actually read the book after this trip but I watched the movie like years before and there was something about he would do things it seemed like without thinking about them it was almost like I'm just gonna do it like he would kind of run with it and I think that kind of got him in trouble in a lot of places because Mm -hmm. like I essentially it killed him you know but 
like that I learned from. I was like, I don't necessarily want to like unconsciously put myself in a dangerous position. Like if a dangerous position occurs, I want it to be out of my control. Totally. And what can I, what I can do in my control is do my research because where the spontaneity does exist is once I get picked up, I don't know where I'm sleeping. I don't know who's picking me up and I don't know how far they're taking. So everything is spontaneous the moment you hit the road, but it is knowing like, oh, I remember someone said not to drop me off before the town because if I get dropped off before the town, it's going to be much more difficult to get through it. You talked about how Polaroid Pete is, was not just created spontaneously. Like you had kind of thought about this for a little while before the hitchhiking actually occurred. So who is Polaroid Pete? I need to know more. I think that question is still being answered. And like part of unpacking this pursuit is really finding Polaroid Pete because part of that journey, like, and let, let's get, get this clear. I create these characters the same way when I was a kid, I would play dress up. I think when we, when Halloween comes around and we like to be in character, there is this excitement to escape yourself. And not so much that I'm trying to escape and that I'm unhappy with myself, but there is a freedom when you can step into a brand new character, there are no rules and regulations. No one can be like, oh, that's Andrew Coconato. He doesn't usually wear three buttons down. Usually he wears his buttons all the way to the top. There's a freedom that this is now Pete. This is no longer Andrew Coconato. This isn't Coco. This is Polaroid Pete. Who is Pete? I'm making this up as I go. There are no rules and restrictions. And so I had to keep that character, which was hard for me, but I kept myself as Pete. And I met an amazing, every person I met, I introduced myself as Pete and they still know me as Pete. Wow. But I also, where I, because I didn't like being totally, because I wanted to be real with them, mm-hmm. but still keep that like sense of I'm not Coco or I'm not Andrew Coconato. I told him my nickname was Coco. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily tell them where it came from. So they still were able to identify me as like who I really was, but also I was Pete. And you, you're saying like, who is Pete? Well, ultimately the idea of Pete is this Voyager, this, this person that is on a journey and is so in the moment on this journey. This journey is a, is a search. It's seeking information. It's seeking self. It's a self-discovery. And ultimately that was the inspiration to take this trip was like, I knew I needed digging to do. And I knew that I find the most within myself when I am afraid and when I am uncomfortable. So Polaroid Pete going on this journey by himself, because I did have multiple friends volunteer to say, hey, I'd love to come with you. And as much as I loved the idea of that security, I knew that would be a completely different trip than if I went by myself. In this trip, I just feel intuitively that it's meant for me to discover something. It's meant for me to realize, which now, looking back, I, I said I, I had an attachment to money. Like, I was evaluating myself by the fact that my bank, my bank was bankrupt, right? What the universe was showing me on this trip, that people were showing up for me. Not only the people who were picking me up, all of which, all 47 people who picked me up were the best of vibes. So not only were, was wealth coming through that element, wealth was coming from my friends and family who 
honestly had no idea that my bank account was what it was because I didn't share that information. They were just donating because they were helping me out. And one of those people, which was Dylan Farrell, which <gasps> is how we're connected. Love those, you, Dale. Those are the friends who, who show up for me. The family members that show up for me, who donated to my GoFundMe. And then even beyond that, once I was on that trip, they would just every now and then just drop me a 10 or $20 and say, hey, like buy yourself a meal with this. And that to me was like, I'm surviving, yet I have no money of my own in my bank account. There was this like slow detachment of this systematic understanding of what I thought wealth was. Oh my God, I love that. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Dylan. Shout out to Dylan. What a good, what a good guy. Love I him. love when you, I love when you said show up. Like I love that word because that to me, yeah, that to me is so valuable if we're talking about value and money being the epitome of what people consider a valuable, you know, thing in our society. But when you see people showing up, and I think this time in particular right now with COVID-19 and just the state of the world, showing up has never been more appreciated and seen. Mm-hmm. And when you feel like people are showing up for you, it's almost like you the empowerment you receive from that is second to none. Like right. you can do anything in the whole world because of right. that support. Exactly. Like that yeah, showing right. up is empowering and that's exactly what you said. It is the power that fuels us. On Unpack the Pursuit, we talk a lot about the emotional cycle of change and all the phases that we go through during that cycle. We like to talk about the valley of despair because that's where shit gets real. That's where shit gets hard. Yeah, it's super dramatic, you know? That's where like the growth happens. What was your valley of despair moment during the hitchhike? Was there ever a moment that you thought about maybe giving up and going home? Well, let's just say the small valleys of despair are every time I get dropped off. Because every time you get dropped off once, you're like, oh, that little piece of comfort in that driver's seat is no longer there. Now I have to redo everything I just did to get that previous ride again. It's like, you can't be 50%, you have to recharge 100%. So like when you're doing that three or four times a day, there's a brief moment of value, like, why am I doing this? Like, I have to re- like write the sign, write the new location, and you have to re-manifest. And then like, your face has to be on, your wardrobe has to be on, you got to be presentable, you got to be high energy, you have to look like you're good vibes, like you just have to be on. The short answer to that is every time I get dropped off, there's a brief moment of like, why am I doing this? Like, it's just like, you have to really, it's like getting up out of bed every morning, like waking up to your alarm clock, you know, and you're like, the alarm's going off, but you want to sleep for another hour, but like, ooh, you got to get through it, right? Totally. That was like me getting dropped off. I'm like, ooh, okay, I got it. I have to move because I can't stay put right here. I can't sleep at this gas station. I need to move. Those were the little valleys of despair. That's but, an amazing answer. But the yeah. big one, I think what you're looking for, I have the best one. The big valley of despair was in Fort Bragg, the northern coast of California. I was stuck in this town for eight hours and like tried rewriting the sign so many different times i tried repositioning on either sides of the road i was dancing i have my floppy ears i'm flopping those ears i've got my sign that says good vibes only and people kept passing me giving me like either waving or they would do this and you can't see me if you're listening but i have my fingers pinched <laughs> they would so they would go like this with their fingers meaning 
to me, I thought my writing was too small on the, on the cardboard. So I kept rewriting bigger and bigger until I realized they're not telling me my writing is too big. They're telling me that the distance that they are traveling is shorter than the distance I have on my sign. So, Just, you know, classic trying to read the hand signals. Right. No. I'm like, okay, well, you, le- you live and you learn. So <laughs> eight, eight hours later, and here's another thing. The, the biggest obstacle was the sunlight because we're in Northern California, November, winter solstice, fall solstice. I don't know what to think about winter, winter or fall. Regardless, the sun goes down at 4.30. So I need to be somewhere to lay my head by the time the sun goes down because you just don't want to be stranded when it's dark. So it was reaching sunset and I still was stuck. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to treat myself to a Motel 6, got myself a room, took a nice hot shower, okay? And I was defeated. I wake up the next morning bright and early, like crack of dawn. I go out into the middle of the town, and all of a sudden, I, I see this guy approaching me. Granted, the sun's still coming up, so it's like a little bit, like, it's not entirely bright. So I was kind of sketched out. This guy approaches me, and he says, were you the guy hitchhiking, trying to go north on Pacific Coast? And I was like, yeah, that was me. He's like, yeah, I saw you quite a few times, and I meant to stop and talk to you, but I'm so glad I'm seeing you now because I wanted to give you a piece of advice. Nobody who lives here is going that direction, north, because the town you're actually trying to get to is not actually a town. It's just a traffic light. And he said, to go north, you're actually adding another 45 minutes on top of an hour because of all the twists and turns in that like you basically get sick on this road and it takes you forever because it's right on the coast. So he said, no local is taking that road. The only person taking that road is a tourist. And most tourists aren't going to pick up a hitchhike. Oh my God. Literally it was like God was speaking to this man was saying, hey Pete, I know you're really stuck on going this way, but you might want to pivot. So this man says, if you want to take my advice, you should walk a mile up, back up the hill. So in the opposite direction, there's another highway that's going to take you inland and then up to where you want to go. It's going to feel like you're backtracking or that you're losing time. But I guarantee you, you will get to your destination far, far sooner if you take this advice. So in this moment, I'm like, you know what? This whole trip has just been like, listen to the flow, trust that where whatever comes at you and whatever information, just listen to it. So I said, okay, thank you so much for this information. Like literally just blew my mind. Like it made total sense why nobody was stopping. So sure enough, I'm walking the mile up the hill, huffing and puffing. I've got this 80 pound backpack, basically like a small child on my back. And this car pulls over and I see it's the same exact guy. And he goes, pardon my French, fuck it, get in the car, I'm taking you. Craig is his name, he's the hero. He's literally the superhero of this entire trip. Craig! Craig, yeah. So he's like, yeah, I went back to my house, I got pulled back the recliner, was watching television, and I said, why can't I just help this man? So he got in his car, came back, picked me up. He says, do you mind if we stop at the 7-Eleven because I need my Mountain Dew because he's like, it's, it's, it's just what I do. I drink Mountain Dews before I take this drive. 
I was like, yeah, sure, grab a Mountain Dew. So we pull into the 7-Eleven. He gets out of the car, leaves the keys in the ignition with me in the passenger seat. That for me was all I needed to see to know like, oh, if he trusts me to be in his car with the car running with the keys while he's inside, then I'm going to trust this guy with my life. He um, was retired, used to work for hospice, so worked as like a medical worker, and which is just like passionate, loving father, couldn't stop talking about his parents, or not his parents, his kids and his wife. And the drive, right, that he took me that was, you know, off course was one, it wasn't that long. And two, it was this windy road through the redwood trees misty fog coming through it was beautiful like like I was meant to take this road but it just what I took from this valley of despair of this like whole day of feeling defeated was like oh I needed to pivot like my mind was so stuck on one way that I just wasn't even willing to consider like any other way like I just have to go and this man out of the kindness of his heart didn't really have to tell me that information he could have just watched me make a fool of myself. But for whatever reason, he just felt like he needed to share that information. And it really did make a huge difference. In the moment he dropped me off, it was like, boom, 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 boom. I was getting picked up left and right. So. I love that so much. Polaroid Pete and Craig. Yeah. <laughs> the end of the earth. Yeah. No, I, I love this. I love that story because sometimes actually I have to be careful because sometimes the way I talk about the Valley of Despair, it sounds like. It kind of is like this a graph, like a valley, and you're at the bottom of it. And you can either go up one way or back the way you came. And that's actually not that's not the case at all. And sometimes I paint that picture. It's exactly what you said. Sometimes in the valley of despair, it doesn't mean maybe you're going in one direction and you just need to pivot and you need to go in a different direction. Or maybe the perspective just needs to change. So I think about like you're on this road, and for you, your perspective is no one's picking me up. I've been in here for eight hours. I'm losing hope. That's your perspective that you're in. And then someone else comes along and draws this completely new perspective. Hey, actually, no one's picking you up because they're tourists. And because this road isn't going to the main highway, you need to change your route. And I think of that like shift in perspective as that's really what, what we're advocating for in the Valley of Despair. Like it doesn't necessarily mean you need to go the direction you were planning on going, like in your case, mm-hmm. it could be like shifting perspective or shifting literally your route and trying not to give up and go back to your familiarity. You know, you didn't give up and say, oh fuck, you know, I had a really good run, but now I'm really struggling. So I'm going to go home. I mean, yeah. I, actually, I even even think Jedediah Jen- Jenkins from that book to shake the sleeping self, he talks about that too, about his desire to give up and go home. I mean, that's a very like comforting thought is to like go back to the familiar, but you got to push through and find that alternative route or that little extra motivation. And I find that oftentimes it does come from other people like Craig. Yeah. Sometimes like life speaks to you in whatever ways you will listen to it. And that's why it's important not to like push your language on people because everyone has a different language that they receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people receive language in different shapes, sizes, and colors. For me, it was, I was in a place to receive information. I was in a place to say like, okay, who is this guy? Like, I'm definitely, my guard is up. But what is he saying? Because what he's saying makes sense. And in my head, going north is progress going anywhere but north 
is digression. So mm -hmm. I, I just, I never was even considering backtracking because for me, that was just like, oh, I'm losing time. Right. Didn't, didn't even think to be like, oh, maybe if I backtracked a little bit, I would actually gain time, which I did significantly. And it just, that universal life speaking to me came in the form of Craig that day. So many times I wanted to call a lift. Oh my God. I was just going to ask. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many times. I'm sure. I mean, that's, I would do. I think easy we all way out. Totally. It's totally the easy way out. That, and I just, just, it wouldn't be the narrative you're creating though. It wouldn't no. be part of, it wouldn't no. be part of the story. No, it would be fraud. So I just, I'm glad that that happened. It was the Valley of Despair and it was such a beautiful valley <sighs> in the end, looking back on it. That's how they always look. I think anyway what's the after story? So what happened after Hitchhike was said and done and where are you now? Well, the immediate after story, when I got to Seattle and completed that trip, I got on a plane and I flew to San Francisco and two of my best friends picked me up from the San Francisco airport and they, we all got, we rented a van and drove south to the desert because all of my best friends who I call my well my California best friends who I call my San Flamily which is a combination of San Francisco and LA so this was our friends giving and it was also my homecoming all of our friends were meeting up on this spot and it's called the Trona Pinnacles which is my favorite place to camp it's located in Southern California and it looks like Mars having all of my friends and who I call my family just there to hug me and welcome me home. And then we just did this beautiful Friendsgiving table in the middle of the desert at sunset. We all brought, everyone brought food and cooked it. And we just went around the table and said what we were grateful for. And it was just one of the most magical moments in my life. We all pulled tarot cards at random. And the, the tarot card that I pulled was called Reunion. Oh my God. No coincidence. It was called a reunion. That was the most immediate after Polaroid Pete. So when I got back to LA, I went back on the couch <laughs> and was still bankrupt because I, like, I hadn't made any money. Yeah. It was, okay, well, how can I afford to live here? Luckily, my roommates were willing to just let me sleep on the couch. I started my dance class. So part of like what I gained from this experience was confidence like the belief that I can do this on my own which I think we all need that like we all 100%. need a situation that reminds us that like you can do this you don't need someone else's approval validation or like someone else's help we're often just quick to be like oh I don't know if I should do this like you can do it and this trip for me was reassuring like if I can go hitchhiking for 1500 miles by myself and get there peacefully then I can do a lot by myself. So another fear of mine was this false idea that like I, if I started a dance class or a dance shop, like it wouldn't be like, that's like worthy, right? Well, I wiped that away because I was like, you know what? I'm starting my dance shop and it's called Bob's Dance Shop, which Bob is another character. Look into the Twisted Oak character series. Bob is the OG. <laughs> and um, Bob's Dance Shop is now all about creating a positive space for anybody to enter that space, dance, be expressed freely without judgment. It is good vibes only. And currently Bob's Dance Shop is thriving at the moment. 
like that was not even a thought to me before this hitchhiking trip. So thankfully for Pete, Bob's Dance Shop came about. I think it's easy for brands or projects or companies to have their mission statement, but everything you said about that is actually true. Like the good vibes, the safe space, the place for creative freedom. That is what you're cultivating. You guys got to go check it out. Where can they find you on all the grams and social media? On all the grams, it's Bob Stanshop. Bob Stanshop on Facebook, Bob Stanshop on YouTube, Bob Stanshop on Instagram. And eventually, very soon, there will be a Bob Stanshop website. That space that I'm, that is my purpose to create was, has been there for me given to, by my parents, given by my friends. I want to create that for as many people as possible. We do flash bobs, dance classes. We do fun little dance videos that we've been releasing once a week. We're making content, fun, really cool content. Luckily, my roommates can dance and luckily my roommates can edit. So we have our little like creative house and we've just been knocking out videos. That's amazing. A little creative studio in quarantine. Yeah. That's also what I was talking about a little earlier in the intro intro is what I'm calling it, I guess now. But I was talking about if you have ideas right now in quarantine, which I'm sure a lot of you do, if you have those ideas, the time is now to put them into action. And you are a perfect example of what happens when you stop asking for permission and you just start living your truth. Right. Like the more we ask for permission, the more we're held back by the fear that someone won't accept us or that someone will say no. Right. And who is that someone? Like, that's usually just like this figment of our imagination. Exactly. Yeah, I love you it. Also, I love it so much. You're diminishing your power. When, mm-hmm. you're, when you're empowering someone else to be the determining factor, you're completely neglecting that you actually have the power yourself. It's just that that's what creates the possibility to spark something, just to go yeah. for it. I have one more question for you. Hit me, girl. Hit me. What does unpack the pursuit mean to you? Unpack the pursuit for me. It allowed me to really, really soak in and reflect and literally unpack what that pursuit was all about. Like when you initially reached out to me about this or like asking me questions, it was like bringing out because so much happened over this period of time. It was a large chunk of the story that I just like didn't have the energy or was able to process how to tell that story to people when they would ask, like, how was it? How was it? Like initially when you get back from a big trip, people want to know, what was it like? I was having a hard time spitting it out. Unpack the pursuit. How I see it in my mind is opening up the suitcase and literally unfolding what that experience was for me. And it was very emotional. When we weren't on camera and we weren't on the phone, like when I was actually sitting and meditating on like, wow, what all did I experience? And like reflecting on each of the people and their stories, I just got really emotional because I was actually able to see what, who, who Pete was. Mm-hmm. As I told you, like you asked me who is Polaroid Pete, I'm still developing that because in the actual moment, there was no script for Polaroid Pete. Pete was flowing. So whatever happened was Pete's story. That was Pete's character. I love Unpack the Pursuit too. That was like a great answer, by the way. And I I loved the way you chose to use like a suitcase as a metaphor. We had someone else, actually, I think it was on our last episode who made a similar comparison. And 
I think what unpack the pursuit means to me too is very similar to that sense of like we often think of oh how did this trip change me or how did this experience change me into who I am today we talk a lot we spend a lot of energy on that but what was it about what that trip or that experience that resulted in what we're seeing today and who we are today and like like you said it is an emotional journey to go back and tear through those moments, people, feelings, things that you don't even know are like now part of your being. And so that was really, really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I love that this is just like a mini particle of your entire story. Thank you so much for just taking the time to share your truth with us. Well, thank you for the platform to be able to tell this story because like I said, I really have not told this story in its entirety to anyone. Yeah. Because it's a lot to unpack. And so I really say thank you because you really allowed me to unpack this suitcase and look, be like, wow, this is what I brought on this trip. And this is what I brought back on this trip. And to be able to see that comparison and see that transformation is beautiful. And and it was very, very emotional. So I thank you, honey. And your energy is just as bright. And I get the same vibe from you. And it makes total sense. The fact that you are friends with Dylan, because Dylan (laughs) shows up he does show up yes and you showed up for this i showed up for this and i'm happy to be here thank you guys so much for tuning in this week hey guys we're back we're not done yet did you think this episode is over because it's not over you know the world hadn't gone through what the world is going through at this moment so a lot of things happened and when i shared this episode with andrew to go live in preparation Um, I think he had more things to unpack in terms of what Unpack the Pursuit means to him and also what the whole journey was. So I'm going to tee up Andrew here to wrap up this episode and do what he does best. Andrew, the floor is yours. Well, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Molly. And you are right. Uh, You sent me this, the the episode, and almost the same day or right around that time was George Floyd's death. And that changed a lot of the conversation and the climate of our world right now. Like not just our country, it, it really just like opened up for me personally. I did a lot of self-reflection right at that time. And as you sent it to me and I, and I listened to it, I'm like, okay, something feels like it's missing. So I thought, okay, there is a lot more to this pursuit that I need to unpack and it had to, had a lot to do with my privilege. I was watching this this video by Jane Elliott, and I don't know if you're familiar with Jane Elliott. She's like, you know, a, a internationally world-renowned educator, specifically on diversity. There was this old video from like the 90s. She's speaking to a white audience, and she asked the question, would any of you change lives with a Black person right now? And, and nobody raised their hand, right? That question for me really hit me because I immediately thought, okay, what is an experience that I've done and, and how would that experience been different if I were black? And so I immediately thought of this trip as Polaroid Pete, this hitchhiking trip, because it's the most relevant. You had just sent me this podcast, the recording. Would I have done this trip if I were a black man? If I were black, period, would I have done this trip? And my immediate response was no. That really shook me. Like me, me owning that and hearing me come to that conclusion made me ask why? 
would I have not done that trip if I were black? So that's where a lot of diving went in within and just me asking, okay, what, what about that? What about that trip would have been different? And I start to think, okay, it's already difficult as is hitchhiking as a person. Like right now, hitchhiking is not a thing. It's a thing of the past. So already there's a level of difficult. When you're on the side of the road, you have 10, maybe five seconds to convince a car that you're worthy of them stopping and picking you up and then sharing a ride, right? There's, there's like a, a brief window where you have to say, hey, come pick me up. I'm a good person. I'm good vibes and I'm a good time, right? That's not a lot of time, okay? So it has a lot to do with your, the clothing that you wear, the face that you, that you have, like what, what's going on in your face? Where are your eyes? Are your eyes visible? Like there are so many different elements that are convincing or non-convincing to a, to a driver. Immediately, I thought of that, okay. I had a floppy-eared hat. I had a blue turtleneck. I had farmer's overalls on, red Converse, and a sign that said, good vibes only. Even with that, and I'm, and I'm telling you, I was dancing like a buffoon, like flopping my ears around. And even with that, I had a difficulty picking up rides, right? Yet people still stopped, but there was times I waited hours for a ride and never got one. I can only imagine if my skin were black, how different that would have been. Because that brief window of five to 10 seconds and you see a black man, there is so much racial bias that happens where it's like, okay, no, I don't, that's not safe to me. That's the world that we live in. That is the systemic white supremacy narrative that we play in our head where like, okay, we're naturally, you know, you see someone on the side of the road, that's already a concern, okay? And you're looking at their skin color, those little factors, as sad as that is for me to say, it's true. The, the other thing I thought of was when you think West Coast, when I thought of West Coast before I moved here, I thought good vibes, chill, open-minded, progressive. Um, I, I, did, I didn't think of white supremacy. I didn't think of homophobia. I didn't think of any of those things. I, in my mind, thought West Coast is hippie central. Anywhere you go along the West Coast is a safe place. And I learned on this trip that I saw rebel flags in parts of Northern California. I saw rebel flags in parts of Oregon. I saw rebel flags in parts of Washington State. Every single state along the West Coast, I saw a rebel flag, which I only associated with the South. And I'm thinking, okay, wait a second, where am I right now? As you go north, north of LA, you get into San Francisco. And San Francisco is a very progressive city. But what most people don't realize, San Francisco is predominantly white, the actual city itself. It's very, very, very white. And if you think about it, it's extremely expensive to live in the city. Okay, so automatically that, that puts um, a lot of people of color out of the city. And in, uh, in the Bay Area, most of the black community lives in Oakland. So when I went to San Francisco, number one, I was surprised to see, you know, so many white people. Um, and then, then further north you go of San Francisco, the towns get smaller and they get more conservative. That's when you start to see the rebel flags. And I was genuinely shocked. Don't get me wrong, you do find some progressive hippie towns. Those do exist. When I went through parts of Humboldt County and into Southern Oregon, I was scared as a gay man going through these parts of town where I was just very vulnerable with my backpack on the side of the road. I, I had to mask my gayness. And I can't remember if we've talked about this already, but like I had to mask my gayness, meaning like, I took off my floppy-eared hat, I covered up my blue turtleneck, I put a jacket on, 
And I just played like I was this heteronormal white male because I knew that was the safest thing I could do for myself. As simple as that, I can't hide my skin color if I'm black. I would be naive to say that that wouldn't be an issue. In those small towns on the side of the road as a black male, no matter how elaborately I'm dressed and how clean cut I look, that is a different story. And, and I'm talking about privilege, I'm talking about white privilege. I also, in this whole experience, reflected on my male privilege. Because even in that sentence alone, I was able to pretend and act like a heteronormal white male. Then I asked, okay, what if I were a white female or a black female or a person of color of any color if I were a woman doing this trip by myself? Would I have done that? I, I don't really know to say yes or no if I would have done the trip, but I can say my experience would be different. That's what I really wanted to share. Like that part of the story is necessary to tell. It's part of the conversation and it's part of the narrative that's happening right now. And I wanted to talk about it. I thought we would be stupid not to, to talk about this. This is a prime example of my own personal life, a trip I got to experience. And I got so much out of that trip. It was a pilgrimage, a, a trip where I explored so much about myself. I'm glad it happened because so much of that experience I've learned from. And, and luckily, like this whole unpack the pursuit, it really allowed me to unpack this part of the trip and to just to look at myself and say, okay, am I doing everything I can to, to you know, keep this conversation going, to be an ally? To not just be someone who's spectating, but to be someone who's using our platform as artists to talk about it. That, that was what was important to me. And I, and I really do appreciate you giving me the time to come on and talk about it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. If you guys have a story that you want to share, maybe Andrew has inspired you to tell your own story, reach out to Natalie and I. You can follow us on at Unpack the Pursuit or email us at unpackthepursuit at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and hear your story, especially during this time where storytelling is kind of all we've got going on. Thanks guys so much and we'll see you guys next week.